I'm former Congressman Gary Franks. And I'm his son, Gary. I'm millennial. We're discussing everything from politics to sports and pop culture. From very different perspectives. We speak frankly. Welcome back. So you want to run for office. Well, the campaign is over. The election is over. So, Dad, what do you do um, if you win or if you lose the election? What's the aftermath of the election? Well, this is if obviously there's a clear winner that you have won. Your opponent has conceded or the shoe's on the other foot. You have lost and you have conceded. Some of the things that you should be doing are the same, believe it or not. One thing you should not be doing, and that is nothing. You should be doing something. And these are a few of the things that you should do. And I'm going to first couch it as now that you have won. But then I'm going to go back and say that now that you have lost, these are some of the things that you should be doing. It's just you're doing it from a different perspective. The first thing, and I, I would say this about anything in life, Gary, and I did this in all of my elections, and I think I mentioned in the last episode that there was a time when I fell to my knees and thank God that I, I was able to compete. That is after I heard Dan Rather say that I had lost the election. And then literally seconds later, I was on the phone with the President of the United States saying that I won the election. And so that is thank God. And I think you should thank God for, for your ability to, to actually compete and to have the honor of representing your party, Democrat or Republican, and the political process. It is, it is quite an honor, the distinction that you will be able to always hold there to your heart. So that's the first thing. Second, and it sounds like the first, and that is be thankful to the people that help you, helped you get elected. So one of the first things I did after getting elected, let's, let's start with Congress, was Gary, I went and started thanking people. I went to the newspaper and thanked the people at the newspaper of my hometown and also via that, that newspaper was able to thank the people of the 5th District for voting for me and electing me. So you, you want to get that thank you out in as many ways as you can. And it's something that um, it should be human nature to, to do so. It should be a natural instinct for you to do so, but it's imperative that you do so. So I also went back to places that I campaigned. I went back to the supermarkets where I, that I stood in front of and the factory gates that I stood in front of and just thanked the people and shook their hands and said, thank you for what you did. Thank you. I really appreciate your help. You know, sometimes you know, I would even have campaign workers you know, working with me you know, with signs, still thanking people, honking horns and waving at people just to thank them for, for, for their support. So you want to do that in as many forms as possible. Would go on radio stations to thank the people for for their support. Um, ideally, even TV. You usually do that when you you do your acceptance speech. You're typically when you're in for Congress, you are on TV for that, so you can thank the voters for for their their support. And and also, as many politicians would also add, and even thank those who who did not feel that you were. Uh, right for the position, you, you're going to try to prove to them that they're wrong and that you you would earn their vote next time, if there is a next time. So you want to get the thank yous out 
in as many forms as possible to the general public. Next thing that you would do, Gary, it's, and, and, and this is something that would happen for all individuals who would have prevailed in the race, is, is get yourself prepared for the office that you've just won. And in Congress, you have a orientation session that literally is held about a week or two after you've won the election. And you're invited down to Washington and you meet all the people who are considered congressman elect or representative elect or senator elect. Now, we keep the two chambers separate. So I was with members who were elected for Congress. And so that is a three or four day orientation. And it's capped off by a weekend at Harvard where they have their public policy school. And you, you get knowledge about how to do legislation. Various things will come into play when you're up there. But part of that whole process, that whole week's activity is for you to get to know each other and for you to get to know your fellow classmates because you become classmates with those individuals. I've, I consider myself a dear friend of all the individuals that were elected in my class, those who were Democrat and those who were Republican. Uh, I was elected in, in the year in which and some of these members are still serving, such as uh, Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro and I were elected the same year, 1990. Others on the Republican side, like John Boehner, went on to become a Speaker of the House. George Allen went on to become a Senator. Rick Santorum went on to become presidential candidate after serving in the Senate. So you form this bond, and your class actually would meet on a regular basis as a class. Now, we would do it just as Republicans, and then the Democrats would do their meetings. We would almost meet from the day we get elected to the first orientation meeting on a regular basis for for life. I could still we could still have class meetings today. Yeah, I haven't gone to many, but I'm just saying that of when you're in office, you have them on a regular basis. And even when you're out of office, you still have those meetings with those individuals who are in office. So that bond is one in which would last a lifetime. So the orientation would get you indoctrinated with, with that process and would also allow you to be able to start to pick the leaders of Congress. You're going to first pick a leader of your class. And the only way you do that is by getting to know your class for that week and week, that full week period in which you're together. This year, it started on Thursday. The members are going to be immersed in the duties of becoming a congressman. At the same time, you're getting ready to, to hire staff. You're getting ready to put people into their, their proper position. And we'll come back to that in, in, in a second. So that's taking place right now as we're speaking with all the members of Congress. And it is looked upon as a two-tier type effort. One is where Democrats and Republicans are all in the same room and you're all getting the same knowledge and, and exposure. And then secondly, you break into groups. All Democrats would have a group and have their meeting meetings and the Republicans would have their meetings. At the same time, you are deciding on what committees you're going to serve on. And that is very important because this committee work is really where you're going to spend most of your time as a member of Congress. You're lobbying as a member, as a congressman-elect, to get on certain committees. And that is something that you really should have done even before you got elected. But after you get elected, you, you have to try to cement where you want to be. So you're meeting with the leadership of Congress, the Republican leadership. You're meeting with them. Very soon after you arrive, which would be Thursday or Friday, very soon after that, you would have a dinner with the leaders of Congress, the minority leader in the case of the Republicans, minority whip, et cetera, the Speaker of the House in the case of the Democrats, et cetera. 
And at that time, you're doing two things, really doing three things. You're lobbying for your committee work assignment, but you're also getting to know each other so you could see which person in your class would be the best to represent you in the leadership because one person is selected to be at the table of the Republican leadership. And then, of course, the same would be the case for the Democrats. They have picked one of the freshmen to be their representative in the leadership meetings. So who's, who's the best person to do that? Who would want to do that? I had no desire to do that, but who would want to do that? So that's something that is also worked out. And then the other element that's happening at the same time is the leaders are really begging for your votes as well because they want to still be the leader. McCarthy would still like to be minority leader. Now, can he make it without your 20 votes, the freshman class 20 votes? Yes. But it would be nice to have all of those votes. Now, you're going to have your class meetings on a regular basis, as I said before, and sometimes you're going to come out and speak as a class. The freshman class, the class of the 106 or 7, whatever Congress we're at, will say, hey, this is our position on such and such an issue. My freshman class did some remarkable things under the leadership of what they call the gang. I think the Gang of Seven, I believe they were called. Now, I was not part of that gang, but they, they did some very interesting things, led by John Boehner to, to a certain degree, and a few others who played a, a significant role in exposing some, some things that were going on in Congress, I'll talk about maybe at another time, and got it corrected and made the senior members very nervous. And so you can shake things up when you walk into Congress, and, and it all starts from your getting to know each other during that orientation week or so that you're spending together. Now, while you're doing all of that, Gary, keep in mind that your congressman representing a, a district. So you're, yes, you're spending a whole week down in Washington, getting to know each other, getting to know the process. You're getting your room assignment. You're having a lottery for your room. You're picking out your room. Just by chance, I picked 1609. I had a great number. I think out of all the freshmen, I drew like number three. I, was, I had the third best pick, right? And so... Yeah, I visited offices. You looked at the offices. Keep in mind, the people who are still serving in Congress until January the second are still there. You know, so so you're visiting offices that are occupied by folks, but they understand how it works. Everyone, the more seniority you get, you can move up to better offices. And so I, by chance, pulled sixteen oh nine, which happened to be the same office that George H. W. Bush had, and so that became an instant story because the fact that George H.W. Bush campaigned so hard for me when I was running for office. So you're getting all of those things wrapped up, but you're still remembering one basic aspect, and that is your constituents in your district. So in your district, once again, you're getting back to the thank you aspect of the whole process. You want to make sure, and you're placing your order right now, you may want to take a family picture, that's what we did, Gary, and do a Christmas card because that is one of the best ways in which, and it can be done through your camp, through your campaign funds, that is one of the best ways to be able to say thank you for, to people. And you're also saying happy holidays to people at the same time. And it's something that they can take that card and put it on their wall or put it somewhere and it would, it, so they can see it from time to time. And you're actually, at the same time that you're thanking people, you're starting your campaign for the following, for two years from now. And so it allows you to accomplish many, many objectives with a simple picture 
that you can put on a Christmas card or a holiday card. I always call them Christmas cards. I didn't get into the holiday cards. So today you put on a Christmas card and you can send to all of the folks that have just by chance contributed to your campaign or have played a role in your campaign, contributed in some way to your campaign, and you would mail that out. Because those folks who actually believed in you enough to give you their time and or their money you want to thank them and you want to keep them in your fold because they, they hopefully will be with you throughout your political career. And saying thank you is the best way to do that. And that's a way to individually thank a person. Yes, they're going to see you on TV thanking them. They're going to hear you on radio thanking them. They may see something in the newspaper thanking them. But when they get that card addressed to Sally Jones and you're Sally Jones, that's the powerful way to say thank you. Now, even if you should lose the race, you should be doing many of these same things if you have the resources to do it. Once again, it does cost money to get the picture done. It does cost money to be able to mail out all those pictures, but it's something that ideally you want to keep in mind. It costs nothing to say thank you for the people's efforts um, in other ways, even though you know, obviously, I you know, I ran nine times and I won six times. I'm not going to say that I went on the street corner thanking people when I lost. Now, keep in mind that your coordinators and your volunteers are some are people that are very special to you because they really worked extremely hard to help you. So besides doing the Christmas card that you're going to send out to a lot of people, you must have a big Christmas party. All things being considered, it doesn't have to be humongous. It doesn't have to have thousands of people there. You want to have your closest allies at your Christmas party, and you want to make it as nice of a party as you can, as you can make it. Now, obviously, if you lost the race, it's something that you have to look at a little differently. But if you won the race, you should be able to, even if you have to start raising money again, usually money comes in to your coffers after you win. And they're always dated before the election, but you never get it until the end of the month in November. Hmm, I wonder why. That is because these are folks who didn't want to give you money. But since they knew you, they saw that you won, then they decided to send you a check. It's all right. It's all good. So you get their money back in the end of November. You get a windfall of money that you can use for these Christmas cards. You can use for the Christmas party and things of that nature. And it really goes a long way to have a Christmas party in your district to really personally thank the people who are your volunteers, who are your coordinators, who played a very key role in helping to get out the vote. It's a touch that we did after every successful election. And it's something that I can't think of any politician on the congressional level would not do something similar. Any questions on that, Gary? That's a, a... No, you explained okay. it very well. That all happens in the first week. No, right? well, it's, during a month. That's span. going to happen. What I would do, Gary, okay, you, the election was on the 3rd or 4th, whatever that date is in, in, in November. Then you get about a week down, that same week you're down, and then you're off to Washington. But, but at the same time as you're doing that, you're putting together your apparatus to start hiring people, get people in the right places. And then you're, you're also getting yourself ready for the holiday season. You're allowing Thanksgiving to go by. Nothing happens on Thanksgiving. You leave people alone. You stay away from, you know, just leave people alone. All you want them to get around that period of time, a little before Thanksgiving, maybe a little after Thanksgiving, 
is the invitation to your Christmas party. You want to give them at least a week or two before, but you don't want a Christmas party on the 24th. You know, you don't want it too close to Christmas. So it's as far away as you can have it away from Christmas, but in the month of December is what you want to do. So maybe the 6th, maybe the 9th, whatever. And you pick a good day. Yeah, I can't think of the day we always pick. But anyhow, you pick a day, I think always on the weekend we had ours. And, and it's absolutely key. Keep in mind also that as a member of Congress, you're going to be invited to the president's Christmas party if you're of the same party. And so you're going to be called down to Washington at least once in December to go to the, the White House Christmas party. So you obviously don't pick it on that same day. But no, those are all things that you're going to get done. Ideally, once you've done the Christmas party, Gary, you go dark. That's it. You leave everyone alone and you rest and you, and you share the rest of your congressman-elect experience with your wife and children and your family. No need to do anything else after the Christmas party. Until the Until day, the day you're, you're sworn in. in. Correct. Until the day you're sworn in. Like okay. for me, for my first election, it became a process because a lot of people wanted to go with me to Washington to, to see me to see me get sworn in. And so your campaign and or future workers in your congressional office can get started on organizing all of that. But you don't need to be involved in that. That's something that your chief of staff or whoever's going to be your chief of staff, he would take up the mantle for that as far as getting ordering buses and doing all that kind of stuff and getting rooms prepared. And because when we arrived to Washington, we had several big dinners in my honor. So we, you know, all that, you just show up. You don't have to worry about doing anything there. You just make sure that that it's done properly. Their finance committee people are always treated a little bit special because of the fact that uh, you know they believed in you when your polling numbers were were in the tank and they still raised money for you and made personal sacrifices for you so you want to make sure that you um, treat them very special and uh, you want to uh, do things special for that for the whole group once they come down to Washington by giving them tours or having your staff give them tours of the Capitol and all of those it's a celebration that that first day or two before you get sworn in you have your official office everything is in place and your staff gets involved your chief of staff gets involved in making sure that you you, you pick out your office space for your district office and I decided to uh, take the office that my predecessor had mainly because it was a federal office building. And so um, I decided to just, and obviously it was in my hometown of Waterbury. And then in future years, I expanded that myself and had offices in, other, in the other two large cities in my district. So you get all those things set up. But once again, you don't do all that. You have, you have people who are going to uh, put together all of, all of those things. So essentially, after your Christmas party during that first, second week of December, it's all dark. You just... You get two or three weeks in which you're just getting ready for the holidays. And right after New Year's, you're, you're down there because you get sworn in. Uh, I think it, it's very soon thereafter. I think it's the third or second, third, or probably the third or fourth of the month of January. You're sworn in. I really like what you said. It's, uh, I it's, know a, lot even, it's a lot That's of stuff right. that people don't know because we don't well, really see it. You know, it's it's really a process. The whole um, once you get elected situation, it's it's not you know something that you think okay, now I can take a break. You don't take. You should not be taking your break until after your Christmas party, <laughs> and after that, that's it. So everything I mentioned here is what you should be doing once you get elected. It's important to do, and they're doing it. Many of them know. They they kind of if they don't know, they're being told. You know, so you know. <laughs>
someone's whispering to them, so when are you going to have your Christmas party? <laughs> what? I'm having a Christmas? Yeah, you're having a Christmas party to thank people for what they did for you so they can, you know, pop champagne bottles and have some shrimp and lobster or whatever, or hot dogs, or whatever you want to have. But you're honest, you're having a Christmas party. Oh, okay. <laughs> Following three terms on the city council and three terms in Congress, former Congressman Gary Franks' consulting firm has helped scores of companies, large Fortune 500 firms, small businesses, and even startup companies secure millions of dollars in federal government contracts and international business opportunities. Congressman Franks, a Yale grad, author, Fortune 500 executive, and former visiting professor at Georgetown University, UVA, and Hampton University will use his knowledge, experience, relationships, and strategic plan model to help you reach that next level of success. Schedule your participation in an upcoming webinar to learn just how Congressman Franks can help you. For more information, email gary at garyfranks.org now. So Gary, those are many of the ways in which you should approach your new life as a member of Congress after being elected. So there are a number of things you have to get done. Some are fun, some are somewhat laborious in nature. And then there's some work that you have to kind of get on track so that come the first part of January, you are ready to hit the ground running. That takes us to staffing. But before I touch upon staffing, you're going to meet a number of people when you're at the orientation as a new member of Congress. And to my amazement, many of the folks that I met during that first week during orientation, 10, 20, 30 years later, I've seen many of those individuals again. What I'm talking about are individuals like police officers, the people that would actually protect the members of Congress. I'm talking about people who would work in the cafeteria, the members' dining hall. And I grew up, Gary, like your grandma was, and the grandfather were very much of the mindset that you treat everyone like you would like to be treated. And years later, when I brought your sister to the Capitol, when she, um, was seeking employment with Speaker John Boehner, we were, at least I was, very amazed over the fact that people stopped me and, and talked about what I did when I first w walked into the halls of Congress and, and shared some stories with my daughter, your sister. I didn't recall many of the stories, but I, I, um, I was touched by the fact that they remembered that I treated them a certain way that and that was better than many of the new members of Congress who were coming there, maybe a little more pompous than, than I was. I was just thankful to be there. So you would want to always remember that you never know what type of impression you are leaving on people and how sometimes that impression may be a long lasting one. So just remember as you're walking through the halls of Congress that now you're 
part of the board of directors of the United States government. And, and, and people are looking at you and looking up to you and, and, and you should recognize the fact that you work for them, number one. And number two, it's only for the grace of God that the positions are what they are. And, and thus, um, remember that you should always treat everyone exactly the way you would like to be treated and you'll be in good shape. Now, having said that, you have to start to look at hiring folks. And, and this is a, just a little snapshot of, of what I'll talk about in future episodes. But keep in mind, as a member of Congress, you have a, back in my day, it was about a million, well over a million dollar budget. And you're looking to hire folks in, in two locales down in Washington, D.C., your main office. And then, of course, in your congressional district. What types of people are you looking for? Well, in your congressional district, you are looking for people who are going to be doing a lot of constituent service. Part of the role of the congressional office is to make the federal government work better for each and every one of your six, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand constituents that you would have in your state. And so whether a person has a concern with their Medicare benefits or Medicaid benefits or veteran affairs benefits or having a problem with any of the government agencies, including the Treasury Department, the IRS and other agencies, they would work through their congressman's office in many instances or their senator's office in order to uh, seek relief or to move a process that may have been stalled uh, more aggressively forward. Different type of person that you will need in your district office than you would in your Washington, D.C. office. In the Washington, D.C. office, you are looking at individuals who are going to help you in your deliberation over legislation that you will be voting on or legislation that you will be writing and hopefully uh, seeking to have uh, become part of the law of the land. And I was fortunate enough to get a number of my bills passed into law. In many instances, they became part of omnibus bills that ultimately passed. So they did not pass as single pieces of legislation in many instances. Some did, but they were rolled into bigger pieces of legislation. And since I was placed immediately in charge of the Republican Party Task Force on, the, on civil rights legislation, as I was placed immediately as the chairman of the Republican Task Force on Welfare Reform, I had my work cut out for me as soon as I walked through the doors of the Capitol. I talked about welfare reform during my campaign, and thus it was something that people in my district, in the state of Connecticut, as well as in the nation, was looking where they were looking at me to see what, as from a Republican perspective, what we were going to put forth. And being the only black in the Republican conference at the time, and people questioned whether or not there would be compassion in the part of the Republican Party, I was looked upon as being a person that could make sure that there would be compassion for, for those from a Republican perspective in passing legislation. I have relatives who have been on welfare, so I, I'm a lot closer to this, the, the, the plight of people on welfare than many of the members of the, the Republican conference. And on civil rights, you know, having been a victim of uh, the Ku Klux Klan and having suffered many injustices from a civil rights perspective throughout my life and my family's life, you know, I, it was very appropriate for me to dig right in, especially when the civil rights bill prior to my arrival had failed in Congress. It was vetoed by George H.W. Bush. 
And when I arrived, that was one of the first votes. In fact, I believe it was HR 1 in which we voted on it and it failed again in its original form. And I became chairman of that effort and proud to say that we, we passed the civil rights bill very soon thereafter that passed with the highest plurality of any civil rights bill in our country's history. Today, still, that would, it would hold that recognition. And so you're going to have some, some projects or some issues that will be brought before you day one that you have to and should be prepared to, to address as a new member of Congress. So in your DC office, you're looking for people who would read and understand legislation, legislation that would be pending, legislation that could be coming up in the future, or legislation that you would like to be able to write. Different type of mindset, a different type of person would work out of your Washington DC office. And then you need a press secretary, when we talked about how in the campaign you had a press secretary, well, that person could potentially move over and work in your congressional office. The difference is that for many members, their press person could reside in Washington, D.C., and thus the person who you had working for you in your campaign handling press may not want to go down to Washington, D.C. So that's another thing. So many of the people that you've had in your in your campaign, many of them may want to stay in the state of Connecticut, and there may be a few that would want to travel down to Washington, D.C. with you. So depending on their skill set and their desire, you have to make that decision. Otherwise, you're looking to hire a number of folks out of the greater Washington, D.C. area, folks that would have the past experience of having worked for other members of Congress and or the Senate in their past. That type of past experience would help you to better navigate your your quest through Congress as far as uh, getting legislation moved forward and having a better understanding of new legislation that you will be voting on as soon as you arrive. Your office manager is very important as well. Uh, that person's going to keep your books, so to speak, make sure that trains run on time as far as the payment of, of, of folks that need to be paid for their services. And of course, uh, you have a scheduler, because that, that's always something that you will you need because you that person would be scheduling you in the DC office where you have a number of people coming down to visit you as well as a scheduler. I had two, a scheduler in the district that would help to make sure that you are making yourself as visible as possible throughout your congressional district. I want to leave it there because there's much more to talk about as far as office staffing and we'll deal with that topic in a future episode. Don't forget to subscribe.